KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is the Rundown, Philadelphia's local news podcast for Tuesday, November 9th, 2021. I'm Jay Scott Smith, and I'm here with Sabrina Boyd-Circa and Brian Seltzer. It was arguably the biggest upset of election night, and it happened just across the river over in New Jersey just one week ago as Edward Durr, who barely put up $2,000 for his campaign for New Jersey State Senate, won it, and now he's set for a four-year term up in Trenton. Guys, a week ago, I could tell you more about Raymore and Flanagan, the company that Edward Durr drove for, than I could about <laughs> Edward Durr himself. Now, that might not be the case anymore, but this story is really amazing. There are a lot of layers to it, and I think it's a perfect case in point on how a small-town story can project to a much bigger-picture theme. We can't not mention the posts that came out after he won this election that were, I can't even just say pretty offensive. They were really horrible. And what happens now? He's already won this thing, so we got to figure out what you do with that. It's definitely funny what seven days can change and just in terms of the narrative that surrounds Durr as he went from being this every man who suddenly wins this election against a a guy who's had a quarter century of experience in New Jersey politics to, uh-oh, this was probably a bit of an issue. We'll talk about that today. Plus, we'll also get you an update on the trial of John Doherty, the labor union leader here in the city of Philadelphia, along with city councilman Bobby Heenan. All that's coming up today on this edition of the podcast. But first, let's get to a rundown of the day's headlines. And perhaps the biggest story that everyone's talking about, if you know, you could even manage to get on social media to talk about it, is the huge Comcast Internet outage that pretty much has hampered the entire Northeast. And with Comcast being based here in Philadelphia, it's been a very big deal here, too. Our own Mike Doherty, who we're going to hear from a little bit later on talking about Edward Durr versus Steve Sweeney in New Jersey. He was locked out of his Twitter account for a while, and he just had his access restored. And you know what happened? He tweeted earlier today, is your internet down? You're not alone. People all over reporting an outage from at Comcast, and we've reached out to the company to see what's up. Lo and behold, a little bit later on on Tuesday morning, at Xfinity Blue Check engages with previously on Twitter hiatus, Mike Doherty. <laughs> so he's got to be doing something right. Xfinity replied saying earlier some customers experienced service disruptions as a result of a network issue, blah, 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 blah. We're apologizing to those who are affected. Mike Doherty getting the... The great engagement on a Tuesday. He was able to get Xfinity to show up in his mentions to actually answer his question. That is, I know this morning I I experienced it a little. I had maybe my email was moving a little slow at certain points, but I didn't think anything else of it. I certainly didn't realize that it was a major issue like throughout the country. So I started seeing it showing up more so on TV than on online. Obviously, I was seeing it show up there. It's kind of funny how that works out, how in tune with our lives the internet basically is, where internet access, if this thing goes down, it's a domino effect pretty quickly. And it became so much bigger than I thought. You know, I was on my way out the door when I noticed that my Wi-Fi wasn't working. I was like, okay, whatever. My phone is probably just acting up. Then I get texts from friends who live in Ardmore and Westchester saying, are you guys having problems with internet? And I was like, why would something in, in Westchester be affecting me here in Philadelphia? Little did I know, it's the whole Northeast. And hopefully, by the time that you hear this, everything will be back up and running. But you know that we are going to try, whether or not we get answers, we'll try to keep digging and figure out what could cause an outage across a huge chunk of the country like this. 
Am I alone here that I think it's hilarious that an internet outage or if a social media platform goes down, people start texting each other like, are you okay? What's, what's the situation you're in? Like that's, that's the state we're in in our lives right now where a momentary outage, even if it's a day without it, whether it was Facebook a while back when it went down or Xfinity having a service interruption, it's like freak. Everyone's freaking out loud. <laughs> they don't have it. People screaming scroll. loud noises. It's I like, think of the fire drill episode of The Office where everybody just doesn't know what to do if the Internet <laughs> suddenly shuts down and or you lose Instagram one day, you lose Twitter the next day, Facebook goes down. The whole Internet suddenly just decides we're not working on a Tuesday morning. We're going to take well, our can't. sweet time. Yeah. And, and is that a problem? You know, everyone's asking around being like, oh, I need, I need help. I need to get the internet back. Do you, though? Do you couldn't, really? couldn't you just use this as an excuse to be like, well, I can't do work, so... <laughs> Unfortunately, in our line of work, we can't because no, we, we really do need it. And I guess that's where it looks at... You look at it like that, too. It does affect a lot of businesses, a lot of industries. But you don't need the internet to listen to the radio. KYW News Radio, 103.9 FM. Or if you're kicking it old school, 1060 AM. And also, one other thing here... Bef- Before we move to the federal trial, I want to make sure we get this out there, too. Another major story in this area are the 76ers, and not because their six-game win streak came to an end, even though I guess this could be part of the reason it came to an end. Four of their players have so far been infected with COVID in the last week, including Joel Embiid, who was potentially the NBA's MVP last year up until Jokic won it in Denver. He became the latest to go on their COVID list and not just protocols. He tested positive. And they asked Doc Rivers, the head coach of the 76ers, about Joel Embiid's condition during a pregame shoot-around last night. He's not doing great. He's struggling with it. Very similar to Tobias. So, um, you know, that's all I can tell you. He's referencing Tobias Harris. The other three players are Tobias Harris, Matisse Thibel, and reserve guard Isaiah Joe, who are all on the COVID list. This is a kind of a stunning development when you think about it, because we've been dealing a lot. We've talked about it and we've seen in the last few days with the Aaron Rodgers thing where he didn't want to get vaccinated. We've seen Kyrie Irving and speaking of NBA where he refuses to get vaccinated players popping up on these COVID lists. But the 76ers on the verge of a full on outbreak. And there was one other message that Doc Rivers had for people during this press conference regarding COVID. This is. The first disease in our in a while that uh, has nothing to do just with you. The reason this is still around, in my opinion, because you're responsible for others. And I think, uh, unfortunately, I don't think we all understand that. Doc's spitting a little bit of truth there about the issues we still have with COVID in, in this country almost two years in now. The message that we, maybe not we all, but us in this room have been saying for for a couple of years that a lot of people have been trying to get out. It's not just you. You are responsible for others in this. And now, Jay, you know how much I follow sports ball. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, I have to ask just to be clear on the background here. Are these players who were not vaccinated? We're trying to figure that out. In the NBA, if you're not vaccinated, there are certain protocols you have to follow at all times since they don't have a hard and fast mandate. But for guys to play in certain places, you have to be vaccinated. So Mm -hmm. this almost sounds like a breakthrough case as opposed to these guys are not vaccinated because you can't play a game in L.A. Even though they haven't played in L.A. yet, you can't play in L.A., you can't play in San Francisco, you can't play in Sacramento, and you can't play in New York City. And they've played games at Madison Square Garden. We played a game at Madison Square Garden already. They had to be vaccinated to go to New York City. So this is a case of it's a breakthrough case that may have gotten through. 
And I know that from what I reportedly, the Sixers were on the verge of all the players were getting set to get their booster vaccinations when this thing leaps in and gets not just four players, three of the team's best players and three of their three starters plus a reserve guy. This is a reminder. COVID ain't going nowhere, people, unless we Your just get vaccinated. daily reminder. The daily reminder. <laughs> that COVID, COVID still exists. COVID is still out here. It's still in the streets and we're still having to deal with it. I can only speak to what I saw, but this is something that the team does take really seriously, as does the whole NBA, because we would see it if we traveled and we saw what other teams are doing too. The other thing though, Jay, you used the word outbreak, and I saw Dave Uram, our sportsman extraordinaire, earlier today in the studio just before we came in. We were talking about this, and I asked him, I said, since when did we stop using the word outbreak? Because if this happened not even a year ago, if this happened last season, maybe before vaccines happened, I think people would be using the the language, this is a full-blown outbreak. You've got four players, right, in health and safety protocols. That's not to say anything against the Sixers or the players. They're not being responsible. I mean, it just goes to show that this is the nature of the virus, and this is how it spreads. Once it's in somewhere, in an environment, it goes around. It doesn't discriminate. I just find it really interesting that within the last year, the way we speak about this sort of spread, I, I think, has changed. I feel like this time of year ago, if you have four players on a 17-player roster, that would have been considered a total outbreak. Four players and three of them starters. Three yeah. very important players. This is on the verge of being something really wild. Just imagine if they weren't vaccinated, how much worse they could actually be there with them. Or does the language of COVID changing mean that this is this is just becoming a more normal part of our lives, that we're not reacting as intensely or um, with as much uncertainty as we would have this time a year ago. Do you think it's just something where it's become a more normal part of our lives and we're getting used to it that we don't use such such heavy language? Becoming endemic, I think, is the term. And we unfortunately, we might be staring at an endemic virus here. And it is going to be something that's just around for a while. So unfortunately, it's not just the 76ers who were without players because of COVID. We shift over to federal court where in the trial of John Doherty and city councilman Bobby Heenan, it was temporarily delayed this morning because a juror has tested positive for COVID-19. Now, they are set to get back in session tomorrow, but now we head over to KWW City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Loeb, who's been keeping an eye on this trial from the very beginning. Pat, what's happened since the last time we heard from you and where are things going right now? Right. Well, uh, defense lawyers and prosecutors got to sum up their basic versions of the case. Uh, it was four and a half hours, a little more, actually, of arg- of closing arguments yesterday. It was kind of exhausting, um, even though uh, the arguments were pretty low key for the most part. The first few hours, at least, were actually almost boring, dare I say. <laughs> <laughs> they Lawyers just kind of went over the acts in the indictment, giving their varying versions of what the jury should take away from them. Uh, there wasn't a whole lot of rhetoric or, uh, you know, purple patches in their closing arguments. Um, Doherty's lawyer, Hank Hockheimer, like I said, was very low key, whereas Heenan's lawyer, Brian McMonagle, he was a little bit more animated. He put up a picture of Rocky to say, yo, Bobby Heenan's the same kind of underdog as Rocky. He gets back up again when he gets knocked down. Uh, He had little flourishes like 
asking someone on the jury to be his spokesman during deliberations and remember what he said about what it takes to prove a bribe. And prosecutor Frank Costello had given the two hour long basic closing arguments of the prosecution. But then because the prosecution has the burden of proof, it gets to go one more time at the end for rebuttal. Assistant U.S. Attorney B. Witzleben handled that, and she was unusually animated, uh, like much more than we've seen her previously in the trial. And she tried this, I guess she meant it as a joke. Um, she was talking about the uh, the window glass that is involved in one of the counts of the indictment, supposedly the chairman of the parking authority, who's the head of the Glaciers Union, offered to pay for glass for windows in the home of Heenan's chief of staff, who was also someone he was having a romantic relationship with. And uh, she said, you know, Bobby Heenan could have turned down that union salary and wouldn't be here. Of course, you know, it's hard to support two households. That's a clear reference to, to the chief of staff, but it just went over like a lead balloon. There were groans in the courtroom. And uh, at that point, um, court adjourned for the day, but we could tell something was up. And sure enough, today we found out that one of the jurors at lunchtime had reported a possible exposure to COVID-19. And this morning, a uh, test confirmed that he was positive for COVID-19. And so uh, that juror has been replaced with an alternate. But in the meantime, all of the jurors were tested all but two tests have come back negative. The other two, they're still awaiting results. They're all vaccinated. And so the judge says uh, he thinks it's safe to go ahead and he'll charge the jury tomorrow morning. And once we get into that phase, it's really kind of up in the air when it comes to deliberations because with juries, you just never know. Is there even an idea of how long it could take a jury to deliberate over this, this particular trial? Like what direction could this thing be heading in? Well, you know, it's, it was extra hard to read this jury because they were all wearing masks the whole time. So, uh, you know, I don't even know what they look like. It's, so you really can't read their expression at all. Um, their body language, they seem to be paying close attention. Some of them were taking notes. There is a ton of evidence. There are thousands of hours of phone conversations emails or at least hundreds of text messages. So if they do a very careful review of all the evidence, it could take a very long time. What could still be a second before we get a verdict in this trial with the, the councilman and the union leader. We, you've been following this from the very beginning, and I know you've got to get back in there because there's going to be more work coming soon. But Pat, thank you so much for joining us with this update on this federal corruption trial of John Doherty and city councilman Bobby Heenan. Happy to do it, Jay. Once again, that's KYW City Hall Bureau Chief Pat Loeb. And remember, you can check out not just the information on the trial, but all the headlines we've talked about on our website, kywnewsradio.com. You're listening to The Rundown. Welcome back to The Rundown. It's November 9th, but it's funny what seven days can change. And just this time a week ago, on election night, a lot of eyes were on the state of New Jersey because of the very tight governor's race between Governor Phil Murphy and his Republican challenger, Jack Chitterelli. Then when the dust settled, at some point early Wednesday morning, we started to hear another name, Edward Durr. 
in what is one of the more shocking upsets, not just in New Jersey, but around the country. He won a seat in the New Jersey State Senate, defeating the Senate president, longtime Democrat Steve Sweeney. We're still trying to figure out exactly what happened here. So to give us some clarity on this, we welcome in Mike Doherty, who had covered all things New Jersey last week. And we were all keeping an eye on the governor's race. And then Edward Durr showed up. So, Mike, how did Edward Durr, a truck driver, unseat one of the most powerful politicians in the state of New Jersey? A lot of people are trying to figure that out, Jay, from the politicians in office here around the country. Nobody really knows quite what happened right now. They're still trying to do the postmortem. And to be fair, Steve Sweeney still has not conceded the race. So he still believes there's a chance he can win. The AP has called it in favor of Edward Durr. All the people that we've spoken with, I've spoken to some congressmen and local politicians. Nobody can really get a handle on how this happened. It sounds like maybe Sweeney might have fallen victim to a national push to give Democrats a wake-up call. Mike, you just mentioned Dirk was declared the winner by the Associated Press. Even with Steve Sweeney not having conceded, is this thing really considered finished? Or is there still some last-second counting of votes because it was only a 2000 vote margin. So that is something that with an influx of ballots, you could conceivably change. Is there a chance that this thing gets flipped on its ear at some point? Is there a chance? Yeah, there's a chance. Is there, is there a good chance? I don't know about that. The reason why Sweeney still believes he's in this is because he says that they found 12,000 ballots that haven't been counted yet in one County. Now we don't know where those came from, you know, what county, he, no one would tell us where they came from, but he is confident that once those ballots are counted, that he will be declared the winner. However, outside of the Sweeney team, you're not hearing a whole lot of optimism from any Democrats in the state that this will change the fate of the election so far. Sweeney had had a history, obviously, and he wasn't exactly at times the most popular, even with some Democrats in the state of New Jersey, let alone with Republicans. But the thought of Losing a race to a guy who was a truck driver, no political experience, he ends up losing. And when it comes to Edward Durr, who's had this sudden influx of fame, he got a phone call from someone he supports. It would be the former president, Donald Trump. Here is the audio, at least part of it, of Durr getting a call from Donald Trump. Was it okay? Thank you very much, sir. Well, you take care. Anything I can do, you let me know, okay? Let me know. Oh, my God. Thank you very much, sir. And you know you can call me at any time. Well, I know that, and and I know you say great things. Well, (laughs) clearly he knows. He knows he can get called any time now. There seemed to be a lot of shock. You can even hear it in whoever was in the background there listening to that call, almost like they still can't believe this happened. For someone like Durr with no political experience, How ready could we even expect him to be to join the New Jersey State Senate? Oh, there's going to be a learning curve for sure. I mean, you can see that right out of the gate. As you mentioned, some of the social media posts, you know, he has a long way to go into sort of being polished. He's rough around the edges. People I've spoken with from the Gloucester County Republican Party, they do seem confident, though, that he'll figure it out and that they do think he is a really good guy and that his online persona may not necessarily match with the man that he is. And if you meet him face to face, they say he's a he's a good guy. I haven't had a chance to sit down and talk with him yet. I'm really looking forward to that chance. I have a lot of questions I want to ask him. I want to kind of 
put it to him about some of the things that he's mentioned, but I also want to give him a fair chance to share what his vision for South Jersey is. I think a lot of people, they did vote for him. I don't know if they voted for him by name. There's a chance they might've just picked Republican down the ballot. And if SpongeBob SquarePants was on the ballot, they're going to vote for him. Uh, I think this was one of these situations where this county, Salem and Cumberland County down here, it's a little more conservative than you might find in other parts of New Jersey, some of the more densely populated areas. So you're going to have a little bit more of a conservative leaning approach here, which is one of the more sort of coincidental and Sweeney seems to be kind of swallowed up into this, but he was not a super progressive Democrat. He clashed with Governor Murphy on occasion for some of the progressive ideas that Murphy wanted to put through. So for Sweeney to get swallowed up into this as somebody who was more of a moderate Democrat, it tells me that names had really nothing to do with this and that people got into that booth and they just went red down the line and voted for every Republican on the ballot because they wanted to send a message to Democrats that not to put words in their mouth, but we're tired of this. We're tired of what you're doing. And it's let's give somebody else a chance. Now, you mentioned it. And aside from just me thinking that I always figured that SpongeBob would be more of an independent, but we you you have you did mention Mr. Durr's online persona. And let's yeah. just keep it real. It kind of came to light over the weekend that his social media activity, it's not exactly something you would have expected. It seems like maybe if this were a race if that was more hotly contested, this would have unearthed itself a lot sooner than what it did. But some of his old Facebook posts, and some of them really weren't that old to be honest contained offensive, misogynistic references to Muslims and Islam and the white supremacist rally that took place in 2017 in in Charlottesville in Virginia. He made references to Vice President Kamala Harris. What are some of the things you've been hearing about that? First of all, the governor called him dangerous, saying this is a dangerous man. But the things that he said online are very much what you would expect to see from somebody who doesn't expect to be in the public light. The things that he was writing, I don't think he even gave himself a chance in this race because had he really thought he would win, you would think that he would have gone through his old posts and scrubbed those negative things out of there so they couldn't be seen. So you have people who get on social media and they say things that are just terrible, whether they sincerely have those beliefs in their heart. I I don't know. I He wrote it. I also talked with um, one of the people from the New Jersey Council on Islamic and American relations, and he said those are, you know, obviously they're extremely offensive, but he wants to have a sit down with Durr. He wants to talk with him and explain, hey, this is really offensive, extremely offensive to all of us in the Muslim community and others who are not in the Muslim community. Jewish people have spoken out against this, too. So he wants to have a meeting. They want to go over it and, you know, sort of explain why this is such a problem. It sounds like Durr would probably be open to that. Nothing's been set up yet. They hope that they can change his mind and you know open his eyes to the hurtful things that he said and maybe change somebody's opinion and hopefully move forward. Now, he did release a statement apologizing for the post, and his supporters have chalked up his comments to being passionate. I, yeah. I, we have a very different, differing uh, definitions of the word passionate, I would probably say, to describe that. We go back to another point here you made about Sweeney. Because Sweeney, as you mentioned, more moderate Democrat than anything because he had clashed. Like I said, he was not the most popular guy among Democrats in New Jersey, let alone Republicans. And they're in the third legislative district. So that's Glassboro, Swedesboro, West Deptford, the southwest kind of corner of the state. For people who may be hearing this or learning more about that part of South Jersey, because New Jersey is traditionally a very blue state, 
Give us a little bit more insight into that part of New Jersey so people kind of understand how this may be not as shocking as people realize. Yeah, I think especially the last couple of years, this area has turned a little bit more red than you would have normally seen. And so I think Sweeney sort of fell victim to people just getting tired of some of the Democratic policies, especially from the far left wing of the party. You know, some of those progressive ideas that, you know, people down here just aren't really on board with yet. I'm not exactly sure what everybody was thinking when they went into that booth, but I do know this area has skewed a little bit more toward the Republican Party in the last few years. We go back to Steve Sweeney. He's been there for nearly a quarter century. So what do you think Steve Sweeney's legacy will be, and what's he going to do now that he's suddenly out of office for the first time in a long time? As far as his legacy goes, it's really impossible to overstate what he's done for South Jersey as far as bringing the needs of people from around here to Trenton. I've spoken with a handful of people from nonprofits to Congress people who say Sweeney is just dedicated to this area and to delivering results for South Jersey. So, you know, the big thing down here lately has been the New Jersey wind port. And obviously Sweeney was the man leading that charge that's going to bring thousands of jobs and commerce to this part of the state. So he is huge around here as far as what he's done. What happens next? I have no idea. One person who's close to him told me this isn't the last you'll hear from Steve Sweeney. And I tend to believe he's not finished. Maybe in four years, he'll run for governor. Maybe he'll decide he wants to run for a different office. I don't want to speculate and speak for him, but I'm going to assume that he's not finished and that he's going to be out there running for something somewhere sometime soon. And despite the fact that there has been a bit more of an uprising among Republicans, Democrats still dominate government in that state. And Sweeney was the president of the New Jersey State Senate. The Democrats still hold the majority there. So is there any idea of who now replaces Steve Sweeney? (laughs) The rat race has already begun. Uh, There's a handful (laughs) of people, you know, sort of throwing their names into the hat. But the one key is none of those people are South Jersey people. So all of the sort of state Senate Democrats who want to take Steve's place are talking like Nick Scatari. They're all North Jersey. So the voice of South Jersey is quiet for now. It's kind of stunning how all that works in politics. Mike, I know you've been knee deep in New Jersey. What else are you keeping tabs on out here? Oh, well, so today I have a interview with one of the assemblymen from here and coming up, you won't have to use a paper registration when you get pulled over by the police. So no more you know, fumbling through the glove compartment. They'll allow you to use a digital copy if you have one on your phone. No, not a huge deal, but maybe might help out some people in those stressful situations where you're digging through your glove box. Maybe that's a little bit easier. We'll see what they have to say. It is a nerve wracking experience, and that is a big change coming to New Jersey. Mike, how can people check out the work you're doing in South Jersey and throughout this area? You can find me on KYWnewsradio.com and anytime on 103.9 FM. That's Mike Doherty, our South Jersey reporter, handling all sorts of business around South Jersey, sitting in a very nice backyard. As you can see, it's on video. It's a great day to be sitting out in the yard, Mike. Hey, I'm hey, kind of hey, jealous, tell my actually. Secrets. Don't tell my no, secrets, man. I, that's not my bad, my bad. Don't want to be giving away. <laughs> Don't want to expose the business here. That's Mike Doherty joining us here on The Rundown, which is a production of KW News Radio Original Podcast. The show was produced by Sabrina Boyd Circa and Brian Seltzer. The director of podcasting for KW News Radio is Tom Rickard. I'm 
Scott Smith. You can follow me at J Scott Smith, J-A-Y-S-C-O, two T's, S-M-I-T-H. That's real J Scott Smith on Instagram and Facebook. You can hear me every afternoon on KYW News Radio starting at 3 o'clock for Philadelphia's Afternoon News. And also be sure to follow The Rundown on Twitter at The Rundown PHL. That's all one word, The Rundown PHL. You can hear us, of course, on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We want to thank you so much for checking out this Tuesday edition of The Rundown.